Welcome to Complete Curiosity, the podcast that addresses the big questions in little segments. Hello and welcome to 10 Years Younger. Turn back time and had energy that you had 10 years ago. Yes, 10 years ago. Thanks for making the time to join us this afternoon. Hi, Alan. Good afternoon, Katie. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Great. And um, today is all about energy. And that's an interesting topic because obviously many of us have been in lockdown for the last four, five months. You know, most of us have been working probably slightly harder than we have before. And it's quite hard to maintain energy given that that sort of situation. So, Alan, how, how do we, you know, the, the research seems to lead towards the fact that actually many people are working harder than ever. How do you, how do you maintain or increase energy in situations like that? Well, I, I think the journey starts with even understanding what we mean by energy, because, you know, it's one of these words that's banded about. So, you know, when I was a doctor, you, we measure energy all the time. So there's a kind of very... I don't know, schizophrenic view of the medical profession about the phenomena of energy. I mean, most lay people would understand you need tons of energy, and particularly in business and particularly in crisis. And so what we're really talking about is biological energy. So it's the conversion of all the food and, and fluid we drink into energy that enables you to do stuff. So you need energy to get stuff done, essentially. And you can measure it in a number of ways. And so what we do is we measure it uh, good proxy of that is looking at the electrical energy the heart generates the heart rate variability because it's a very good way of quantifying how much energy you've actually got and what's pretty interesting is most people don't have a strong sense of that so when you ask people to estimate you know whether they're you know currently functioning on a full tank or are they going around you know living on fumes and people guess that they're wildly inaccurate when you actually measure it scientifically, you know, sometimes they think they've got a full tank and they're running on fumes. Sometimes they think they're running on fumes and they've actually got a full tank. So the good news is you can biologically quantify how much energy you've got. And so that's the sort of start point really is looking at your biological energy. And you can even break it down into different types of energy, you know, the energy to keep going the energy to get going, that kind of stuff. So we measure that all the time and it tells a very different story to what most people think. So it starts with just noticing your energy, essentially. Why, why measuring, why, why the heart in terms of, of energy? Why, why do you start there? It's the biggest power station in the human system. So many people are surprised for really about 100 years in science, we've been dominated by the view that the brain is everything. The brain runs everything, controls everything, dictates everything. But what we sort of understood, particularly in the last 30 years and increasingly the last sort of 10 years, is actually it's a bit more complicated than that. You know, we're a system. We're a big, complex system. And, you know, the brain, whilst it has the most neurons, you know, in the body, it's not the only neural network. So you've actually got a brain in your gut. In fact, there's more nerve cells in your gut than there is in the entirety of your spinal cord. So that's in medical circles, that's called the enteric brain or the gut brain. And there's also a brain in your heart. So you've kind of got three brains. But what's interesting about that, if you look at the electrical energy output of the heart, it's about 50 times larger than the electrical output of the brain. So if you record somebody's EEG, you know, and look at that on the sort of, you know, oscilloscope, as it were, on the computer, you can't see a brain wave if you don't pick up a heartbeat 
uh, and mathematically remove the heartbeat because the heartbeat is like this big and the brain beat is only that big. So even to see a brain wave, you have to remove the heart wave because the electrical energy the heart produces is 50 times larger than the electrical energy the brain produces. So even though there's sort of maybe 10 billion neurons up here and only sort of 300,000 down here, the power output of this is much greater than the power output of this because of the way the two organs function. Electromagnetically, the heart is about 5,000 times more powerful than the brain. So we focus on the heart because it's the primary power station. It's what powers you through, which yeah. is why it sort of got into common parlance, put your heart into it. Because lay people have kind of understood that there's something going on. It's not just a pump, it's much more nuanced. So what can we actually do, do about that? I mean, the, the actual claim of even this, this webinar, you know, turn back time and, and, and have energy that you had 10 years ago. What, what does that actually mean? What, what, are you, what are you saying? Well, very interesting. If, if anybody sort of examines their day, you know, most people recognize that some days, you know, they get to the end of the day and they're exhausted and other days they get to the end of the day and they're not too tired. But that's really where the analysis stops most of the time. I mean, very few people actually sit down and wonder, why am I particularly exhausted at the end of this day and not some other days? So our start point is keep a bank account. I mean, m many people actually look at their actual bank statement, their money, much more closely than they look at their primary resource, which is their energy. You know, we talk in business about time management. Well, you know, actually what you really want is not time management courses, is you want energy management because... You know, if you're completely exhausted, Katie, I could give you an extra three weeks to finish that project. You still won't get it done because you're exhausted. Conversely, if you're full of beans, mm. I can give you three times as much work and you'll consume all of it and get it all done. So actually what's critical in order to function effectively and be brilliant every day is energy management. So it starts there. And so what we encourage people to do is actually keep track of where the energy is coming from and where it's going. And we talk about energy in its full extent, you know, which you can quantify biologically. So mental energy, you know, sort of is, is different from the overall biological energy. So we'll, we'll get we'll come on to the sort of precision of mental mm. energy. Somebody's asking what is mentally exhaustion. Yeah, you can feel mentally exhausted. Yeah. But, you know, that's a sort of subjective sense, which we'll come on to as to why that happens. But the start point is just keep score. And so what we do is we suggest people just write down a, two, a list and you can do this at any point of your day or your week, the end of a day, write down a list, look over the last 24 hours, where did my energy come from and where did it go? And just make a list, just write these things down, put a column, left-hand side of the page, what, are, what were all the boosts to my energy? Right-hand side of the page, what was all the drains to my energy? So if when you get people to do that and they write these lists on this, what we call the e-bank, the energy bank account, when you write down these lists, and you step back from that list and you start to reflect on it and see what the pattern is. And so sometimes when people, we get people to do that, they see, oh my goodness, you know, all my deposits are at work and all my withdrawals are at home or vice versa. You know, or all my deposits seem to be in the morning, all my withdrawals seem to be in the afternoon. Or actually I've got three standing orders going out on these three people in my life and they're like draining, they're like energy vampires, it's going out every day. You know, direct debits going out. Every time I bump into them, I yeah. just they suck the life blood out of me. So we encourage people to just make these lists, then step back from the list. Now you look at the list. What's the pattern? So once you've seen the pattern, what's the action you need to take to correct mm -hmm. the pattern? So that's the process of doing your, you know, sort of energy bank account. 
And it's but you really can't necessarily powerful. sort of cancel your kids or your parents in that sense. Some things, you know, you look at that list and you can say, well, actually, so there is something I can do about that. There isn't anything I can do about that. Well, there is how some, it seems. No, actually, there is something you can do about it. In fact, when people do this, and if you say, like, you know, my mother-in-law is a standing order going out every time I interact with her or even have a conversation about her, it drains me completely. If your standing order is in relation to a certain person in your life, they're not injecting you with chemicals. They're not specifically draining your energy. You're draining your own energy when you think about them. So one of the biggest drains is the way that you think about things, the way that you feel about things. And that you can learn to change and you can control those things. So, you know, that's the subtlety of it is it's not necessarily these people, it's your response to these people. So your kids might still behave badly, but how you choose to interpret that and how whether that drains you or doesn't drain you is ultimately down to you. So you can actually get a massive boost. So if you look at these lists, you think, well, actually, I'm exhausted. So what do I need? I need to minimize the drains. I need to neutralize the negative and I need to power up the positive. You know, I need to enhance the boosts. So I need more of those people in my life, those types of conversations, those situations, power up the positive, and I need to neutralize the negatives. So you then start to actively, proactively manage your own energy. And when you do that, you start to regain energy. The truth is that most people start their day with a certain amount of energy, and then they leak their energy out, you know, leak, 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 and in the, the day I'm tired. But that doesn't have to be the case. I mean, you can start your day and finish your day with the same amount of energy. In fact, you can start your day and finish your day with more energy than when you started. Now, that's just not possible for most people because they don't proactively manage it. Most people just leak it out over time. At the end of the day, exhausted flop on the couch. But it doesn't have to be that way mm. if you proactively manage your energy. There's a, there's a question, Alan. How do you learn to respond rather than react to negativity? Negatively. Right. Well, first of all, you've got to notice what's going on. So as soon as you start to get irritated by something, somebody's bad behavior, if you don't notice you're getting irritated, it won't even occur to you to try and regulate in any way. So all change starts with awareness. So you've got to notice you're getting irritated. Right. Now, that requires you to start paying attention. So put post-its up on your computers. You know, where are you now? Are you being irritated? Are you being delighted? You know, just to prompt you, get your phone to ping every five minutes, just to prompt you to check in. Well, what emotional state am I in? Am I in a reactive state? You've got to start noticing these things to have something to manage. If you don't notice, it doesn't occur to you to do anything mm. at all. So it starts with noticing, right? And then rather just being triggered and reacting, can you interrupt the knee-jerk response? There's a number of skills to do this, as you know, as we teach people. One of the very easiest things to do is just start by controlling your breathing. Because what you'll notice is that when somebody's irritated you, your breathing goes haywire. So start there. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So if somebody's feeling anxious about their job and the economic forecast, I saw something that John Cordwell, dear old John Cordwell from Phones for You, put out a thing today that I saw where he was predicting all sorts of doom and whipping up a bit of fear. And uh, people start to get anxious. Now, when you get anxious, your breathing goes all over the place, right? So, but you often, if you don't notice your breathing going all over the place, it doesn't even occur to you to control your breathing. So the breath pattern that underpins anxiety is rapid, erratic, and shallow. Or if you're frustrated, the commonest emotion in business is frustration by a factor of four. 
So if you're frustrated in business, what happens to your breathing is you start holding your breath. Now you don't notice, many people don't notice they're holding their breath, but people who are frustrated, they're going, what are you doing? What are you holding your breath for? So lots of repeated little breath yeah. holes. So you say, look, stop breathing like that and replace it with this rhythmic, even breathing. So if you start to breathe rhythmically and evenly through the center of your chest, the frustration starts to melt away. The anxiety starts to melt away because it's impossible to sustain frustration and anxiety in the face of rhythmic breathing. So that will start to help. Now, once you've got your breathing stabilized, you then go on to the slightly larger task of getting control of not just your breath, but the whole emotional state. So this is what you need to do to manage your energy is you got to first of all, keep a bank account. Then you've got to take some steps to stop reacting, start by controlling your breathing, and then start getting a control of your emotional state. So if you can control your emotional state, if you've got the ability to control your response, your emotional response, that's what we call response ability. Ability to respond rather than react. So to be a responsible employee or responsible yeah. leader, what that really means is you are response able. You are able to respond rather than just knee jerk react. And that's really important for leaders to become responsible. And that's a, that's a good point to, to bring, you know, what, what emotion would be a good antidote to frustration or irritation? And are they the same thing? You would probably say frustration and irritation, not, not the same thing. Uh, frustration and irritation are not the same thing. I mean, and this is part of the thing is that if you don't pay attention to your emotions, you're confused. And most people are profoundly confused. So, uh, and we do this all the time, as you know, you know, write down the emotions you've noticed, you know, and people write down frustration is the first one they write down and then they write down frustration again. So when people are thinking about their emotions, they think about, you know, heating their system up or cooling their system down. And that's the sort of mythology that people advice they get, you know, before you have that big important meeting, you've got to, you know, get psyched up or you've got to be relaxed under pressure, you know, and the psyched up is really triggering the fight flight response. And the relaxation is triggering the, you know, the faint or play dead response or flee response. And that's just not true. What really determines your success in a meeting is not the vertical axis, but the horizontal, and whether you're in a positive or negative emotional state. And it's completely different chemistry. You're either generating anabolic hormones like DHEA or catabolic hormones like cortisol. So when you heat your system up, you can heat it up in one or two ways. You can go into this activated coherence, as we would call it, things like passion, enthusiasm, motivated, committed, determined, focused, those kind of things. Or you can go into activated chaos, things like anxiety, frustration, and anger. So you can be on the top left or the top right. Mm -hmm. Likewise, when you cool the system down- Both have energy in them. What's that? Say again, Katie. I said both have energy in them. Yeah, so the heart rate is high in both cases, but one is coherent and one is chaotic. So this is inefficient. This is what will drain your tanks. So if you wanna see, you know, the most exhausting thing is to have conflict with a loved one or somebody close to you. I mean, that will drain your tanks as quick as anything, right? So when you're frustrated with your partner or you're anxious about the future of your relationship, that will drain your tanks faster than literally anything else you know. Whereas actually, if you're determined over here to make it work and you know, you're proactive and solution focused, you can refill your tanks. So the heart rate may be the same in both cases, but one is coherent and one is chaotic. 
But this mythology that, you know, the way to recover, you know, the antidote to exhaustion is not rest. People think when you're tired, you need to rest. That's nonsense, right? The antidote to exhaustion is doing something that makes your heart sing. But that's what people get wrong, because when they're tired, they think they've got to relax. But relaxation can be relaxed chaos. So apathy, boredom, detachment and indifference. You're still running high cortisols and it drains you. It still continues to drain you. And it's particularly pernicious because you mistakenly think you're healthy because you're relaxed. You're not at all. Now, you can be in relaxed coherence. So states like content, receptive, tranquil, interested, curiosity, equanimity, those types of states. So what people really need to do is to live their life on this side. So when somebody's saying about, you know, you know what's the best antidote to frustration, and there are 17,000 negative emotions and 17,000 positives. So when you're in any of these negative emotional states, which of all 17, these 17,000? 17, there are 34,000 in total, so there's 17,000 on each side. So when you're in a state of frustration, the, antidote, the best antidote to frustration is not love. Why not? Well, it's a very difficult shift to get from the planet of frustrated to the planet of love. I mean, that's a really contorted... Actually, it's much easier to get from frustration to something like patience. So once you build your emotional literacy, you discover that there are some antidotes on the left side that are better antidotes to some of these things on the right side. So frustration to love, don't bother trying getting there. But frustration to patience is a much easier journey. So that would be the best antidote to frustration is to cultivate some patience because sometimes you're frustrated because you have an expectation of outcome but if you learn a bit of patience in that while you're waiting for things to happen you may discover that there's something else going on that you hadn't spotted alan can you hear us yes i can you i can sorry uh, okay. about that that's all right that's all right we just got to um not being able to live on the ideally living on the left hand side rather than the right hand side yeah, so just to respond to some questions, somebody says, how do you know what emotion to shift to? Uh, brilliant question, but frankly, you know, most people are going through their lives. If you ask them, write down the emotions you've noticed in the last day, most people don't know more than six or 12. And there are, as I just said, 34,000 emotions. I think Alan's stuck again. He'll come back to us. I'm sorry, we've got a slightly a dodgy signal today. While we wait for Alan to come back again, I'll try and answer one of the questions that we've we've got there about breathing alan was talking about breathing a little bit and actually in terms of coherent breathing there are many different parameters of breathing but the three most important parameters for coherence is actually rhythm so making sure that you're breathing rhythmically and also evenly so smoothly so rhythm is the most important thing about breathing and smoothly so you can breathe rhythmically and you could breathe like which will be rhythmic but it's not smooth okay so the first one is is that rhythm the second one is the smoothness of breath and the third element is actually the ability to breathe through the heart now i know that sounds a bit strange because we don't breathe through the heart we breathe through the lungs obviously but that ability to be able to breathe rhythmically and evenly and through the heart. So the first two are quite uh, simplest parameters so that they're more doing parameters. So the smoothness and the rhythmicity, that's something that you can pretty much focus on. 
And then the third element is that, can you breathe through the heart every day? And Alan may well come back to us and talk to us a little bit about that. Alan, can you hear me now? I can. Can you hear me all right? You, I'm losing my voice at this point, but I've been through, somebody was asking about how to breathe coherently. And I was talking about the first two parameters about rhythm and about smoothness. I just got to yeah. and through the heart. So maybe you can pick up from there. Yeah, so, so 12 parameters of the breath you can control. It, you, you, the most important is the rhythm, which is a fixed ratio of in to out. And then the smoothness, which is a fixed volume per second. And then the location of your intention, breathe through the center of the chest. And the reason for that is that's where most people experience positive emotion. So the positive emotion may be registered in our amygdala, our hippocampus, but where do we physically feel positive emotion? We feel that in the center of our chest. And so just moving your attention to the center of your chest starts to move you to the left-hand side of that curve. So breathe rhythmically, evenly, and through the heart every day, which spells breathe to help you remember the, the, the skill. Focusing on the center of your chest is actually helpful to you. So it's not abdominal breathing. Again, just like people are mistakenly obsessed by relaxation, people are mistakenly obsessed by abdominal breathing. We're saying, no, imagine you're breathing through the center of the chest. You know, and so there are some, as people are saying, there are some yogic practices that recognize you know, these different aspects of breath control. But over the last 25 years, we look very carefully at the biological underpinning of these different things, which is why we've created a sort of batting order, you know, rhythm, smoothness, location of attention, speed, and so on. So we've created this list of batting orders as to which of all these parameters, and you'll see, if you don't understand the biology, the biological impact of breathing, sometimes you're teaching something which is actually priority number nine before people have got control of priority number one. So they can all help, but you know, we have a prioritization of those things. Can we go back to the question about how you coach someone that's 80% of the time stuck in negative emotions? Yeah, well, first of all, again, are they aware of that? And what I mean, do they notice the negative emotion as it's happening? Or does it just overwhelm them and they don't notice until five minutes later, 10 minutes later, the following day? So when does the awareness of their negative emotion kick in? So I remember some time ago, I, I did a program where I coached 12 people with intense anger issues, you know, live on, on television. Because it's the BBC One daytime series called Temper Your Temper, if you remember. And some of these people were just raging with anger. There was one yeah. particular Sheffield chef who, you know, had his wife pinned up against the wall with his fist cocked like this in his anger and his 14-year-old son was filming it. Now, you know, it's just overwhelmed with anger. So, you know, and it, and it was mainly because, you know, he was so reactive and he was so practiced at anger, eventually the anger was so familiar to him, he deleted out all other emotions other than anger. And so his only emotional response available to him, he had like I said, everything made him angry, literally everything. And so we started by getting him to notice this was happening, showing him back the video footage that this was what was going on. And then trying to teach him, like in the heat of the moment, when the red mist descended, you know, the, the sort of happens with road rage, he couldn't see it right there because the anger had got him. He hadn't got it, it had got him, right? So it was getting him to start to notice that was happening. So until you start to create that 
ability to notice it's happening. And now, first of all, he would notice it an hour later, and then it would be half an hour later, then 20 minutes later, and, then, and eventually he's noticing as it's happening. So until you get that noticing going, you, you can't change anything. So once he's noticed, oh my God, it's happening right now, it's happening right now. Okay, now breathe, you know, like, just like we said, control your breathing, because anger is involved with disorderly breathing. So intervene and do something really specific, control your breathing. And that would start to bring the temperature down a little bit. And then we'd start to separate when he wasn't angry, is try and teach them, you know, when, you know, so the person that's asking this question, who's this person's negative emotion 80% of the time, well, look at the 20% of the time when they're not angry. And in that 20% of the time when they're not angry or anxious or worried or whatever negative they're in, work with them then to see if when they're in a more quiet state, can they turn on a positive emotion in that quiet state and try and you know, work that muscle, the positive emotional muscle, rather than the one that they've got overworked, which is the negative emotion muscle. So you start to build up the positive mm. in that 20% of the time, and then you use those two techniques together Am I noticing the anger and the heat of the moment? And can I start to shift, first of all, through the breathing, but then to not love or some of these exuberance, but, you know, to focused or to resolve or to determined or something that's a bit more accessible from the position of anger. So you'll go to an emotion that might be easier to access. So, but these things take practice. So you practice yeah. these more positive emotions you can move to, that you can shift to. Yes, no, exactly. And, and so it reminds me of a story when I was working with the, the GB rowing squad before 2012, home Olympics, and you know, rowing's my sport. So that was the best gig ever. You know, home Olympics, your own sport, and you get to work with the athletes. So I remember having a conversation with the women's lightweight double skull and the last called Sophie. And we had a very interesting conversation about practicing positive emotions. And I said, look, the truth of it is, is the GB rowing squad rows up and down the river about the same amount as the American rowing squad, as the Australian rowing squad, as the New Zealand rowing squad, as the Croatian rowing squad. You all lift about the same weights. You all do the same mileage. You all do the same runs. And your physical training regime is pretty much identical. So I honestly believe the medal isn't won and lost in the gym. The medal is won and lost on your couch. So you train from 8 a.m. in the morning to about 1 o'clock. And when you go home, what do you do then? Nobody had ever asked her that. Nobody ever asked her what she does when she gets home because that was her time, her private time. She said, what do you mean? What, what do I do? I said, well, when you get home, what, what do you do? She said, well, I don't know. I make lunch and loaf around on the couch. I said, and do what exactly? I don't know. Read a magazine. Okay, what magazine? <laughs> so this was a level of questioning that she'd never experienced. I, I don't know. Grazia magazine? I said, okay, when you're looking at Grazia magazine, Sophie, you look at that picture of that beautiful girl in that dress, what emotion does that trigger in you? I mean, does it trigger the sense of, oh my goodness, that girl's beautiful, I could never be that beautiful, I'm just ugly, or does it, you look at that photo and think, oh, that would look good on me. So when you're in a more relaxed state, do you go to relax negative or relax positive? And I start to explain to her why it was really important to be conscious to go to relax positive, not relax negative. So if you look at that Grazia magazine and you go, oh, that would look, wouldn't look good on me or oh, I feel bad about myself, then you've gone bottom right in that universe of emotions. But if you look at that magazine and you think, oh, that might look good on me, that you go bottom left and you feel curious about, well, where would I do that? How much would that cost? Blah, blah. I wonder whether, you know, do they have it in my size? You know, I wonder, how, you know, whether that material, whatever, which way you go bottom left or bottom right, that determines how well these athletes recover. 
right? Because as I said earlier on, most people when they're exhausted go bottom right into veg mode rather than into recuperation mode. So what I train them how to do is how to recuperate effectively in the bottom left rather than the bottom right. Now, the good news is Sophie went on to win the gold medal with her, with her double skull partner. And a big part yeah. of what we were teaching them was how to recuperate effectively. So they recover quickly as an athlete. So they got enough energy to go again. It's this 10 years younger thing, right? If you manage your energy really, really well and stop draining it out, you know, neutralize the negative and start powering up the positive, then you can wind the clock back. And we've seen that, as you know, when we measure people biologically before and after we start coaching them, there's an on average 25 to 30% improvement, objective improvement in their biology. Hence, when you get really good at this stuff, you can recover the energy you literally had 10 years ago through, just through really effective management of your energy system. So there's a, there's a question, Alan, about, so is it interrupting negative by, by breathing and replacing the negative by the, by the positive? That's not quite, but it's, bit, it's a being a bit more specific than that. Some emotions are better to replace others with. Is that right? Well, there are 17,000 positive emotions to choose from. You know, so just get over on the left-hand side and engage any of them because any of them will be better than what you're having on the right-hand side. Because on the right-hand side, they're energy draining, and on the left-hand side, they're energy enhancing. It's just that most people are not taking conscious control of which planet they're living from. They're just getting blown all over the universe with no active control of their system. But the good news is, is you can practice being on the left-hand side. You can practice. I mean, happiness ultimately is a practice. You know, it's not something that happens to you. It's something that you cultivate over time. You cultivate and develop the ability to be content and fulfilled. How do you know, Alan, how do we know which one of these two to use of, of those 17,000? Well, again, in the early stages, it doesn't matter. Just go on to the left. But as you build up a literacy, you know, maybe you started with, I knew six on the right and six on the left. And with a bit of practice and a bit of attention and a bit of documentation, a bit of study, you get 20 on both sides or maybe 10 on the negative and 40 on the, on the positive. So you start to get a little bit more discerning about well, which planet do I want to go to, right? So I'll give you a live example. There was uh, somebody in our office, this is going back a couple of years, who was really fed up with something. And so she was on the planet of frustration. And I thought, well, she's not going to perform very well if she's stuck on this planet of frustration. So I'm going to try and get her to the left-hand side. But actually, the quickest way to get her to a left-hand side planet was to actually jolt her to the right a little bit. So we went from the planet of frustration to the planet of bitch fest. So that was a quite interesting maneuver is so, you know, so I can see you're frustrated with this person. You know, I, I agree with you, you know, actually what they've done and how they've behaved is appalling. And that, so I stoked up the frustration a bit and we went to, you know, for three or four minutes, went to a planet of bitch fest, not realizing that just off the planet of bitch fest was a wormhole that took us all the way over to the amused. So we got so bitchy for about a minute, it started to become funny. And so we went through this wormhole and we started laughing and we were on the planet of amused. So it's to get across to the left-hand side. And so the more literacy, the more awareness you have of more and more planets, the more navigational capability you have, 
the more nuanced skill you have. And this is incredibly important as a leader because when you're trying to empathically connect with the people around you, the bigger your emotional repertoire, the easier it is to connect to customers and colleagues. If you only know two emotions, which is I feel either terrible or not bad, and one of your colleagues comes into your room in a state of despair and you go, well, I've got terrible and not bad. It doesn't look like not bad. They must be feeling terrible. They don't feel terrible. They feel despair. But you don't recognize that because you've only got this state of terrible. You don't even understand what despair really feels like because you've never felt it. So ironically, the more you do the work on yourself and build your own repertoire, the easier it is to connect to other people's emotional state. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. I think, I think that's really helpful. And I suppose one, just one last question from Paul. How do executives react to that physiological approach versus a more emotional, intelligent approach? Well, you need both ultimately. So to go back to you know, the beginning of the story, we said, look, when you're in a you know, negative emotional state, you've got to first of all become aware of that and then control your biology with breathing. So it's been our experience when you give executives something very, very sort of constructive and specific like breath control to do. And if you use our biofeedback kit, you can literally show them their biology live. It's very helpful because they can literally see their own biology on their phone and the biology is in chaos. And then they control their breathing and they can literally see their biology change within a few seconds. So there's proof positive. Look, it's actually working. So once you've stabilized the biology, you then go up to the emotional intelligence piece, right? So it's sequential. Get your biology stabilized and then start to do the emotional intelligence piece. So because there's a lot more objectivity to, you know, recording, documenting and visibly showing the biology, it's been our experience the last 25 years. That's a very good way into this sort of emotional conversation, which is the next level up. But ultimately, you need both. Where does this ultimately end up? You get control of your biology, then you get control of your emotions and your feelings, which will give you control of your cognition, your consciousness, your mind, which then gives you control of your behavior, which gives you control of your result. These things are sequential. The mistake that most people try is to either try to fix the result without any change in biology or emotion or cognition, or fix the behavior with no change in biology, emotion or cognition. So we have a different approach, which is start with the biology, stabilize the biology, move up to the emotions and feelings, get control of that. That will give you control of your consciousness. And the quality and content of your consciousness is ultimately determines how much you get paid. Because if you can accelerate the speed of your mind, which you can, by the way, and improve the quality of your mind, you'll get promoted. You'll do better in life. So because you'll make better choices, you'll be more perceptive and insightful. Alan, one last, one last question about the, somebody who's asking about the Universe of Emotions app and do we have a new, a new app coming out shortly? We do have a new app coming out shortly. So those are people that are familiar with some of the stuff we've done. You can, you can get the Universe of Emotions app on, on Google Play or the Apple Store. That will be hoovered up. So anybody who's got that app will be automatically migrated to the new app. It's going to be called the Complete app. We're in beta testing of that right now. So later on this year, that will be released. Or anybody that's been using the biofeedback app, which is called the Coherence Heart Trainer, that will also be embedded in the new complete app. So it will hoover up both those apps and then expand it significantly. So it will give everybody the ability to track and trace their own emotional state 
on a daily basis. And actually, there'll be all sorts of training tips and games being embedded in there. So we're in the process during lockdown, and we've been massively building a whole new app which integrates all the existing apps. So people will have the power to transform their own system on their own phone. So watch this space. We will let everybody know once that comes out. Great. Okay, Alan, um, I'm going to kind of uh, bring it bring it to a to a close here, and I want I want to ask people just to please get in touch with us. I know I apologise for the some of the bandwidth issues we've had today, but hopefully you've been able to get most of the information that that you need. Our next session is on the 27th of August. That's really around purpose and and bliss. And Alan, you know, you always talk about two important days in anybody's life. So perhaps you can just explain very quickly a bit about that. Yeah, so understanding it's another thing that's really critical to recovering your energy and, and, you know, turn back time is one of the things that enables you to sustain energy is knowing what your personal purpose is. So the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you discover why you were born. And that's the day you discover what your real purpose is. And the good news is, and I've had this conversation with 100 executives, no, 500 executives probably, most people don't really know what their purpose is. They've just ended up where they are in life. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Well, how do you really uncover? And it is an uncovering process. How do you really uncover your core operating principle? You know, the purpose of your life. And I've yet to meet a person that didn't have a purpose. Everybody's got one, but most people don't know what it is. So that's what we're going to be talking about next time. And it does totally game change the amount of energy you've got. So one of the reasons I'm, you know, I'm full of beans all the time and <laughs> to the point of irritation of others to some extent is, you know, I'm very purpose driven. You know, I know what I'm here to do, uh, you know, and it fills my heart to get up every day and live my life on purpose. So that's what we're going to be talking about next time. Okay, so that's the 27th of August at 3pm. Like I said, please do send us any comments. People have put some lovely comments in the chat, but do send us uh, an email or get in touch via LinkedIn and, uh, and we'll see you again very soon. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, okay, guys. thank you very much, Katie. Bye-bye. If we've piqued your curiosity or you've enjoyed anything we've talked about in this podcast, please subscribe, email us, or just visit our website at complete-coherence.com.